Welcome to Third Chances, a talk show where we like to hear from people who devoted their life to health, fitness and wellness. Medical professionals, health coaches and all the others who help us every day to cure our body, mind or soul. Those who always look for more natural, holistic ways to help even more people to live a happier and healthier life. Those who don't like to give up easily and settle on you or themselves. It is never too late or too soon. I always believe that every one of us deserves not just a second chance, but as many as we need. I'm Vera, your host. Who better than a master of reinvention with an accent to guide you through it, right? Just like they say, you are not a tree, so move. And God knows I have done just that in my own life many, many times. If you are not completely happy with the direction your life is going, this show may help you get the courage to change what is needed, find a new path and take charge. So come on over, pour yourself a glass of wine and spend some time with us. Let's laugh and cry together and get inspired by people just like you and me who overcame their own doubts and took a leap of faith to reinvent their life on their own terms. I hope and pray that we help you on that journey. And if you feel so compelled and inspired, please let us know. Don't be shy. Who knows? You may just be our next featured guest with another inspiring success story. So here we go. Well, hello, hello to another episode of, of Third Chances. And I was always looking for very interesting stories, but I have never come across a story like this one. So I think we are in for some spectacular listening. If you are interested, I am. I met uh, Fred, Fred uh, Ratman, who calls himself repeatedly dead Fred, and you will very soon learn why. He is a formerly dead person, now very much in the land of the living. He has overcome a stroke at birth, 12 heart procedures since 2009, a few dozen concussions, TBI, PTSD, and an assortment of other health challenges due to his being clinically dead a few dozen times. I don't know about you, but I never met anybody like that. Being dead and brain trauma survivor, Fred is now using his unique experience as a coach and an intermittent faster, and also wrote a book about the medical trauma, a memoir called The Summer I Died 20 Times. Fred also hosts his own podcast called The Dead Man Walking Podcast. Fred, I'm so excited to welcome you to my podcast. So nice to meet you, and I'm so happy you are very much alive. Thank you, Vera. Me too. Please Being alive us. is pretty good. Sorry? Being alive is pretty good. Oh, I believe so. And uh, somebody like you can truly appreciate it a little more mm -hmm. than we that take it for granted. How, where are you calling from? Tell, tell us a little bit about where you are. I am in uh, Toronto, where we are having a very rare sunny day with a brilliant blue sky. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, I come from Winnipeg originally, which has very, almost no air pollution, and it's one of the bluest skies you'll ever see. So wow. coming from 
someplace where you get so much sunshine to so much less sunshine. It's a bit of an adjustment. So what made you move or, or your family to move? Life, life circumstances. Yeah. I just needed, yeah, I thought there was more career opportunity for me here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I died. So it kind of, you know, didn't work out so great. But Well, you have, to, okay. you have to tell us a little more about that because this is so outrageously crazy that mm -hmm. when we start chatting on Facebook and you wrote me about the title of your book that I thought was absolutely brilliant, I was Thank like, you. I need to I need to hear more about this because we all have very big traumas in our life and people dying and, and mm -hmm. stuff happening to us that we have to overcome. And I think most of us feel that my own struggle is the worst. When I read your story, I'm like, wow, there's not there's nothing to even relate to or compare or imagine. So please, mm -hmm. if you don't mind, walk us through what happened, when it happened, how long ago it is, and what did do you know what caused it? Yeah, well, I think I'll start off by saying this isn't the trauma Olympics, like just because this is a crazy thing happened to me. I'm not saying it's worse than what happened to you or, or anyone know, else. And I, I also want to start off by saying this isn't a critique of, of the medical system. This is just what happened to me to the best of my recollection and, you know, all the characters, good and bad, that I met along this journey. Yeah, so, it's totally not a problem. We are here talking about where is the efficiency and inefficiency of medical care every mm -hmm. single episode on my podcast so don't feel bad I, I love doctors I love nurses but there are certain mm -hmm. moments when we may figure out that we may be a better healer than all that chemistry that is pumped into us and it's yes. it's not solving everything unfortunately so don't don't worry about mm -hmm. that <laughs> so I'll start uh, I guess in the summer of 2009 mm -hmm. I was a professor at the time uh, I was teaching an economics course and I was marking papers. And then all of a sudden I wasn't marking papers and I woke up or I thought I woke up. I wasn't exactly sure what was happening to me. And I was slumped over at my desk and I was sweating profusely and breathing very heavily. And I wasn't sure what had happened to me. And, and you thought, were alone? I was alone. Um, yeah. and I thought, well, this is weird. Maybe I'm just exhausted. And, uh, I just dozed off into some sort of weird, weird sleep. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just time to call it a night at the sack, except that wasn't such an easy task. You know, usually you walk from the office to the bedroom and, uh, you get to bed, but I didn't make it to the bedroom. I found myself on the floor, looking up at the ceiling and uh, breathing very heavily and all that stuff. And I re remember before I opened my eyes, there, there was like a fireworks display going off in my mind, huh. except it was, you know, fireworks are usually you get the oohs and the ahs and wow, look how pretty that was. But this was, this was very different. I was actually feeling the explosions. Hmm. Like physically so, in your body? Yeah. Yeah. 
and uh, and that was not very pleasant. And then I tried one more time to make it to my bedroom, and then again I sort of woke up or whatever you want to call it, uh, just stuck in the door jam, and had gone through another one of these fireworks episodes. And yeah, you know, dead people are kind of uh, broadcast intermittently. <laughs> Well, we had some technical difficulties, so we have to sign off and on. But mm -hmm. uh, Fred is back from the outside, and I was joking mm -hmm. on him that uh, that that people keep freezing on me. But hopefully, it will be smooth from now on, and hopefully, mm -hmm. we will have to we will finally get the chance to hear the, the entire story. So, last yeah. thing I heard was that you were collapsing randomly. Yes. So I would. You know, I've collapsed in parking lots, at bus stations, almost uh, as a subway train was coming in. Wow. I mean, it just, it, you know, it was random. And it took them uh, until they put a Holter monitor on me at the hospital, that, which records all your heart action. So, you know, one of the doctors, they kept trying to tell me I was having heart attacks. And but they would test me for all the signs of heart attack and I didn't have them. Hmm. So um, you Did would you think, know you know, how long each episode lasted that you were unconscious. You know, I was gone for 30 seconds or more many times. And a couple of times in the hospital, we know it was three to five minutes just by the reaction time of how long it took everybody to get into the room to theoretically resuscitate. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't happen often like you see on TV or in the movies where, you know, an eight every specialist with every perfect piece of equipment shows up to to try and resuscitate the the person or the patient you know sometimes people are in other areas of the hospital sometimes there's only so much equipment to go around yeah. so because i had seen code blues uh in the hospital a number of times i had a pretty good idea how long it takes people to to get in the room and, uh, so that's where i'm getting my three to five minute number mm -hmm. So by this point, like they are trying to test you for whatever is causing this. Uh, they think you are having heart attacks, which was not true. Uh, what did they tell you? What did they find out? What did they do? Um, well, one doctor told me it was a sleep medication that I was taking 
that was causing this, although millions of people use this around the world on a daily basis and it doesn't happen to them. Um, another theorized that I had vasovagal syncopes, which is uh, when your body just overreacts to certain things. You've probably read about or seen examples like people that overreact to blood and they just faint. Mm -hmm. So this doctor thought I was just fainting. But we know that doesn't usually happen to men in their 40s. If you're going to have that condition, it usually starts in your early teens, you know, yeah. give or take a few years. Did you so, have any other serious issues, health issues at that time that would kind of participate in this? Well, I was obese. There's no doubt about that. But um, the condition that we ultimately figured out um, isn't directly caused by obesity. So that that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And it's also something that happens to men generally in their earlier mid-70s. And I know people can identify as whatever they want these days, but I was in my mid forties and I wasn't identifying as a male in my mid seventies. So, um, it was, a it was, you know, it's a common thing, but it shouldn't have been common at, at my age. Yeah. So, um, so it turns out, uh, it's called, I had a severe onset full heart block. And what that means is the electrical system in your heart, which sends, has, it has nodes, distribution systems that send signals to your atria and your ventricle, and they tell your heart when to beat. And those nodes started dying in my heart. Mm -hmm. So they were not sending beats to tell my heart when to beat. And if your heart doesn't beat, you're pretty dead. Yeah. You know, you have no oxygen, no blood to the brain, no nothing. And unfortunately, with so many of those episodes, I would also collapse and hit my head on something really, really hard. And, you know, so going without oxygen for so long and repeatedly hitting your head gives you a concussion and they layer on layer. And uh, it just wasn't a really good situation until they How long figured out what it was. How time was this happening? So this started in May of 2009, and they finally gave me a pacemaker to correct this in, I guess, later August 2009. So very quick. But you, I'm assuming you were still teaching then, right? Oh, I, I was totally dysfunctional after you start getting your head bonked around like that and uh, not knowing, you know, if you can stand up in class. You can't be in front of a class when you're going to collapse in front of students. Yeah. Did it affect Look, your uh, cognitive health as well? Oh, totally. I, I was I was so battered, I didn't understand how battered I was. Hmm. So, um, you know, my friends brought me my prayer book at the hospital and I went to do my evening prayers and I've been learning Hebrew since I was five. Like I've got a pretty good grasp at it. Mm -hmm. I went to start reading my prayers. I didn't know how to read Hebrew anymore. It knocked an entire language out of me. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, Anything you know, else affected significantly? Oh, my, ba my balance was shot. 
Uh, I had trouble remembering words. I was never really good at remembering people by face. So, you know, that was made even worse. I just couldn't process. I was, I was just, you know, with so much PTSD and shock, and I didn't even know I had PTSD. Yeah. Like, that's another one of the crazy things of this story is that all these doctors knew I kept hitting my head like yeah. really, really hard. Like, you know, on a manhole cover. <laughs> I mean, that's about as hard as you get. Um, and nobody gave me a head x-ray, not a CT scan, not an wow. MRI. Like nobody addressed this. And after they gave me the pacemaker, nobody addressed that as any sort of aftercare. There was no ro roadmap given to me. It was just like, okay, you know, we think we fixed your heart. See you later. They knew you were hitting your head, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once uh, on my attempt to leave the hospital, um, they, I was in one of the washrooms down the hall and I had multiple collapses and I came back to the nurse's station and my glasses were broken and my face was cut and, you know, there's, and the nurse is like, well, what happened to you? Yeah. Like, well, what do you think happened? Like, why do you think I'm here? Because I keep collapsing and hitting my head. The nurse was, well, you know, you got to be out of the room by three. So. Oh, wow. It's just crazy. Well, that's, that sounds crazy enough. Yeah. Well, I have, uh, we talked before. And, and I, I lived in on, on the communism and mm -hmm. that sounds pretty much like the healthcare that we used to have when you have no mm -hmm. choices, no, you cannot choose your doctor. You have to go where you belong and they basically dismiss you because it's a free mm -hmm. healthcare, but nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But you were in Canada, right? That's should yeah. be a different story. Well, well, fast forward. What did you do then? Well, I sort of went on instinct and, you know, I knew in general, I had to get healthier. I had to lose weight and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I just went back to the basics. What do we know about when you're sick, you know, eat better exercise and feed your brain because feeding your brain is as important as anything else. Yeah. So I thought if I'm ever going to go back to work, I have to, get my brain up to speed. So I started taking a bunch of courses and things like that. And I was feeling better. I had lost some weight. And then um, 2013 happened. And it all started happening over and over again. No way. So I started collapsing and hitting my head and all this stuff. And then the doctors were like, what's going on here? Yeah. And finally... I met the right doctor who figured out there's a flaw in the pacemaker. And uh, so we had to get that removed and put in a, a fully functional one. So I went for that surgery. And, uh, and again, the title in the book is The Cluster Rhymes with Duck. So um, some people don't like swearing on podcasts. 
No, I'm, I'm, I didn't make up any rules, but definitely this podcast is not for children. So go away and okay. say, well, clusterfuck. <laughs> clusterfuck. Yes. And um, as soon as they, you, you're awake for these pacemaker surgeries now in general, they use just a numbing solution. And I was very uncomfortable going in. I was having uh, some claustrophobic issues and I didn't like the way they constrained me and they hadn't warned me about any of that stuff. And they started to open me up. And as soon as they opened me up, I could see on the board that monitors all your vital signs. Before those signs changed, I knew my heart had stopped again. Mm -hmm. I just went like, oh, fuck, I'm gone. And then I was gone. And then... 8, 10, 12, 13 seconds later, I started regaining consciousness because they had these pads on you, these pacing pads, and they were replacing the heartbeat that my pacemaker was no longer giving me. Mm-hmm. And it was just uh, a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. And these things hurt. Like you're getting shocked like every two thirds of a second. Yeah. And I initially thought people were kicking me like I was in a bar fight or something you know and I said like I'm back I'm back like you know please stop doing whatever you're doing to me yeah one doctor is like shut the fuck up we're trying to save your life and another doctor is no keep talking so we know you're okay oh my god and and then they realized they had to put in a temporary pacemaker because they can't leave me like that yeah so then they had to scramble to find, try and find the temporary pacemaker. And then they brought back half of it. And then uh, they had to do an insertion in my groin. And uh, nobody had thought to sterilize, sterilize or freeze it up. And uh, so they just, you know, cut right into my groin, which I can tell you is not a really pleasant experience. Yeah. That and, sounds like uh, a horror story, seriously. Yeah. It is. It is. But uh, it's just, you know, what happened. And then uh, they eventually got me back to the room. And the temporary pacemaker, they weren't sure how how secure it was lodged into my heart. So I was on the bed rest of bed rest. Like, I wasn't allowed to even try to get up to go to the washroom. So I was, you know, do not move until we know that you don't have enough an infection and we can try this again. So it was uh, it was really, really uncomfortable. And soon after they got me back into the cardiac ICU, the power went off and scared the crap out of me. And because I thought this temporary pacemaker was attached by an electrical cord yeah then it didn't you know I, I was so messed up i didn't think like oh wait we're like a couple of hundred meters from the operating room how did they get me you know yeah. an extension cord that long so i realized it's just like a nine volt battery that's what was keeping me alive yeah. well it happened enough times to scare the hell out of you for sure i, yeah. I don't know anybody who would be comfortable to having that done to him, not knowing what is going on, actually, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're battered and you're confused and 
in instances, well, in general, the medical community has problems with communication. And oh. they, they readily acknowledge that. Some people are great doctors, lousy communicators. It's just, you know, it's any system. It has its good parts and its bad parts. Well, I think the part of problem was that they were not sure what they were dealing with. So how mm -hmm. to communicate something you, you don't even know, you kind of on fishing expedition to find out that maybe by miracle they will realize what it's causing this. That mm -hmm. sounds scary enough on its own. Yeah. So I, I think I was in bed for maybe eight days and they decided to try again. And uh, and that surgery also didn't go so well. Um, you know, it was supposed to be a 25-minute procedure thereabouts because they, they do a lot of pacemakers every year. They do probably close to a million pacemakers a year. So they've got the, the procedure down pretty pat. Um, but they had some difficulties in mind and we were going on like three hours or something. And the doctors were on the phone with other doctors around the world. Like, how do we do this? How do we do that? You know, it's, so um, they eventually got it in. It was very uncomfortable. And I stayed in the hospital for another couple of days before I got released. And, uh, and then everything was great. Hmm. Until, At that time, were you already losing weight or were you still obese pretty much? Oh, I was still obese. I mean, okay. You know, it's it's gonna. I've lost probably a good hundred pounds, so and I, I'm still much heavier than I'd like to be, but uh, I've made some progress. Um, 2018, this all started happening again. That's five and, years later. Okay. Yeah. Sake. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So again, it took them a while to figure out that uh, the pacemaker was malfunctioning. So this time. Uh, we decided we were just going to replace everything. We're going to take the original pacemaker out and put in new wires and everything. So my original pacemaker is on my left side of the heart, and they were just going to put in a new one on the right side, new wires and everything. And uh, I said, you know what? No offense, Doc, but after what I went through the last couple of surgeries, I want to be asleep for this. Yeah. And uh, you know, more and more they want to use less anesthesia on people and more because it's just harder on the body and easier to recover from. And your body and, already went through a lot. So that might. Yeah. Be I said, if, if, if I'm going to die, I'd rather not know about it. Oh, so so um, when I came back from the surgery and I was starting to wake up and I noticed I don't remember the exact time, but say it was supposed to start at one. I thought, wait a sec, it's like six o'clock now. Why am I just getting out of surgery like five hours later? Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So they uh, they had trouble installing the new pacemaker. They could only get one of the two leads they needed to get in place. So they had to figure out what are we going to do here? So surgeon and his team did some harry potter level wizardry and i became one of the few people in the world that have two simultaneously functioning pacemakers so they set it up so the new one would work when the original one would 
malfunction. And for the most part, it works. And it's not an exact science because they do it so rarely. And so I still had glitches where, you know, I'd have these minor events where my heart would stop. And then it took a while for the new pacemaker to sense that and kick in. So certainly nothing like the episodes I had before, but uh, it's still uncomfortable not knowing, you know, you can be driving and all of a sudden you're like, you know, like it's not a good situation. Yeah. So as, as we, time went by, we fine tuned it and fine tuned it. And it got to where it was functioning pretty normally. But wow. uh, then I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff. And then we realized uh, in November of last year, uh, I'm going to skip all the COVID stuff and some other surgeries that um, we realized the battery in the original pacemaker was about to run out. So we had to have yet another replacement. But that story will be in the sequel. (laughs) Well, Listening to this, it, it really sounds pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Now, when looking back, knowing all you know today, would mm-hmm. there be something you would have changed? Did you know better at the beginning when it starts happening to you? Would you do something differently then? That's really hard to say. I mean, it's a great question. I think we... There's a lot of things we could do in our education system that we don't do. I mean, we could do a better job of teaching communication skills and, you know, kids should know how to do some basic accounting and finance and stuff like that. But you really need to learn how to advocate for yourself when things aren't going well. And even if I knew how to do that better, I don't know that I could have because I was in such bad shape you know, cognitively. So Even when the symptoms started happening, when you were collapsing a little bit at the time, I, I would say, and obviously at that time, we don't know because you don't know, you don't take it so seriously. Maybe taking to take away from this is like, no matter what the symptoms looks like, you may start taking it seriously with repeats. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it may be much more serious issue than some temporary discomfort or something like that. So maybe that would be one thing I'm thinking mm-hmm. when listening to you, when it happened repeatedly at that day and you yeah. kept going and you went sleep, you know, you, you may have not woken up, woken up possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's really hard to, to communicate how battered my brain was like that, you know, there was just no clarity of thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, after one of these episodes, I thought, okay, better go to the hospital. I'd been to the hospital a few times and they've gotten me nowhere. I thought, okay, the hospital is right off the subway line. And so I have to take a bus to the subway and the bus is just down the block. Like where are my subway to like, that's how, nuts my thinking was mm-hmm. as opposed to dial 911 you idiot yeah exactly you know? yeah yeah so wow. it's um have you ever ever seen anybody get knocked out in a fight and they're 
they just have no orientation. And that's what I was, except I had been in about, you know, 15 or 20 fights. Yeah. So now uh, let's, let's look today. And now you are mm -hmm. past this and uh, semi-functioning <laughs> mm -hmm. possibly. Uh, what, what made you think about writing the book about the entire experience? Well, I was never, it was never my intention to write a book. So I've done a lot of writing in college. I worked for the school newspaper and, you know, um, a couple of regional newspapers, but I was a marketing guy. So I was used to writing a lot of stuff for business, for marketing plans, for finance stuff. Um, but my psychiatrist said, maybe you should try some journaling because I still had a ton of gaps in my memory. And maybe some of this will inspire some of those memories to come back. Mm -hmm. And, but I wasn't a very consistent journaler. It's just not something I enjoyed doing. But then eventually I was telling some people my story and seeing the reaction it had on them. And somebody suggested I enter a short story competition. Uh, except the competition deadline was like seven days. Hmm. So, so I started trying to write and I blew way past the word limit. And there was just no way that I had the skills to edit this down, make it coherent in however many words it was. So sort of went on the back shelf. And then every so often I would take a stab at writing and a stab at writing. Over COVID, you know, I took it really, really seriously and started looking for a publisher and had a whole bunch of beta readers and all sorts of stuff. And uh, everything came together so that I have a book, which some people like and some people chose to express that they didn't like it. Oh yeah, that's that's something I want to touch on because before we get on air, uh, Fred mentioned to me this insane uh, review that he got from somebody on Amazon, and I have been shocked because you read if you chose to buy this book, you you do realize it is memoir and it is someone's personal experience. So mm -hmm. to come on. Amazon and write this, it just blew my mind. And let me read it to you because that's something I, I know people are very nasty behind the keyboard and in that mm -hmm. kind of anonymity. This guy didn't mind to post his name. His name is Fred Stevens. And let me read what he wrote. And I was really stunned by this. Misleading and inaccurate medical information. A cardiac electrical event is not dead. The clinical definition of death is brain death. Yes, with your episodes that caused fainting were emergent and required immediate critical care, you weren't dead from a clinical perspective. I think it is dis disingenuous to try and come off like an expert from your experiences, but you are not an expert. Also, your hospital care sounds abysmal at times, but without knowing the system from a pers professional perspective or what was happening outside your room, you are describing a situation without all the relevant facts. Maybe your nurse, Rachel, lost a patient that day. I had to stop reading it because the inaccuracies, uninformed judgments and conclusions had piled too high. 
I think describing your experience is great and would be an interesting story, but you are making all sorts of assumptions about the process, personal and treatment that you don't have the expertise to make. This is a, a testimonial for Fred's book. And I'm thinking this guy is making exactly what he accusing Fred of. How do you know his experience better than him? How do you know he makes assumptions? How do you, how can you tell it's disingenuous? I just, I was stunned. What did you think when you read this? Um, I, I thought it was pretty funny for some of the same, like he doesn't define what his expertise is. Exactly. And he, he has no way of knowing what I know. And so I'm you are making sure I... a lot of assumptions, but so he, so is he, because he never even met you, and he had no wildest idea about you and your life. Yeah, I, I didn't write this book in a bubble. Like, you know, my doctors know I'm writing it. Um, I've talked to a lot of health professionals. There's multiple definitions of clinically dead, and the one I use is the one we talked about earlier. Ultimate death is brain dead. Yeah. That's, you know, when they'll, but that's just one definition and this may shock him, but doctors have lots of opinions on the same thing. So, you know, at the beginning I ran into some bad medicine. Uh, my current team, I've got like, you know, the Olympic gold winners and, and I'm very fortunate and grateful. Um, but no, Nothing I wrote about is, well, I'll say some of the things he said is true. You don't have electrical disruptions because of a myocardial dysfunction. My condition is totally different. Myocardial um, events are heart attacks. And it was pretty clear I wasn't having a heart attack. Yeah. I've got a totally different. So, um, yeah, his opinion, but... Uh, it had really nothing to do with the writing of the book. I didn't exactly even finish right. the book. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't know why Amazon lets reviews like this go up when oh, people they admit they post, don't even they post everything. Yeah. Yeah. I just so, I was stunned because it's it's seriously like you are buying somebody's memoir. Of course mm -hmm. it's gonna be in his words what happened and what he saw and what he saw at the time it was happening. And that's why I brought that question back to you. If you knew what you know today, would you do anything yeah. differently? Because at the time it's happening to you, you have no idea. So obviously mm -hmm. you're describing events as they are appearing to you or as they are feeling to you because there's nothing, mm -hmm. you know, the, if you're having clinical death, you don't know what your nurse went through if she's being nasty to you or something. It's just really oh, she was a piece of work. Yeah. So, on the back end of that story, my my sister's a nurse, and saw how this woman was treating me in ICU, and that's where you're supposed to get like the gold standard. Yes. And my sister took this woman outside and and gave her a good talking to, and I'm pretty sure if. Uh, that had happened and she, this other nurse had lost a patient, my sister would have come back to me and said, you know, she's had a really bad day. She's not usually like this. Mm. That didn't happen. She She's just, you know, at least with me, she was a really bad nurse. Yeah. 
and people are and, people in all sorts of work they they may be just not right for that job or they just if if you even if you have a bad day you mm -hmm. cannot bring it with you to work it's that's just not yeah. professional and it's hard it's definitely hard mm -hmm. to leave your problems behind the door but that's the requirement because yeah. especially when you when you're holding somebody's uh, life in your hands basically yeah and i freely admit at some points uh i was not the best patient to work with because i was pretty frustrated and, and and annoyed and scared yeah so um i understand these things go on i also had some nurses who were just unbelievable yeah on the positive side that's when you that's when you have a chance to compare which he doesn't mm -hmm because he didn't live through your experiences like you did so mm -hmm. it's just it's mind-boggling that somebody choose to criticize not criticize the memoir but criticize questioning your experience basically questioning yeah. if it really happened that it's impossible it's like yeah. you are irrelevant it's well well we gave him too much attention <laughs> yeah i wasn't writing a case study yeah. On myself the doctors have done enough of those exactly so yeah it's uh to hold it to that standard is is a little silly yeah well let's hope he will not have any experience anything close to yours because i can relate to having good and bad experience in a hospital or with the medical mm -hmm. staff because like i said i have been through quite a bit in my life and I absolutely met nurses that mm -hmm. were laughing at me that that they thought I was faking my symptoms that it mm -hmm. was impossible to happen to somebody this young so I have my share of of having really bad medical staff misjudgment mm -hmm. uh, misdiagnosis I absolutely can relate to that but it's mm -hmm. sometimes it's impossible when you are in America and most of the time, everything works on a really high standard level. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's impossible to imagine that it's not the same everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But I think people are everywhere and people have their days and it's unfortunate. Yeah. But I, I back, think... to your, back to your story, Fred, because okay. I would like to see. So you were a professor, you were teaching, mm -hmm. you were having... I'm assuming good time you you did what you love to do and then boom mm -hmm. and here you are you can't do your job so what happened next well most of you know my last 10 12 years I've been focused on trying to recover yeah you know there's a lot of lingering effects and then I went through a couple of uh, other heart issues and went through I think four or five bouts of COVID, one really, really nasty one. And, uh, you know, so there's, what I'm mostly doing is trying to be a positive influence in the world to, to keep a positive mindset, realize that, uh, you know, life is like, uh, there's an old Yiddish saying, man plans and God laughs. Yes. <laughs> so, you, you know, we can have these plans and uh, they just get waylaid, but you just have no option. You know, you just have to 
keep your head up and think positive and try and help other people going through whatever situations they're going to go through. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to ever have a situation like mine. I hope not. I, it's so, very unusual. Yes. You know, I can't walk in their shoes. They can't walk in my shoes, but I can understand that we all wear shoes. Yes. And sometimes, you know, somebody needs help getting their laces tied or, you and know, whatever. This, when you're going through hard time, it, it may help you to hear that you are not alone or you are not divorced of yet. It's just, mm -hmm. I know it's hard when you, when you're going through trauma or something, but if I can speak of my experience, when I was having really hard times, it would help me to look at others and realize, mm -hmm. okay, it's not that bad. It's just, it's, there are people that are going through much worse. And in your case, I feel when you mentioned God, that God had a lot of plans with you because he had a lot of opportunities to, to just time it off. Yeah. Yeah. So there must be he's bringing you back. I, I was talking to one of my rabbis yesterday and I mentioned that people say exactly what you've just said. You know, so why do you think God keeps bringing you back? Yeah. And I said, no idea. Like you can make your best guess, but it's not until that time you don't come back and God's going to say, now here's what you were supposed to do. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. Maybe, uh, I don't know if you meditate, but mm -hmm. you may want to start to, you know, sit in a quiet and, and try to concentrate on your death, that uh, bread, <laughs> not yeah. that bread. Mm -hmm. and, and just keep calm and try to connect and mm -hmm. listen what comes to you because sometimes the messages we got, we keep it we keep ourselves busy and noise around us and sometimes we miss that very important message that comes from within that mm -hmm. may show you what you need what you are meant to do more what 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 this whole experience is supposed to mean for you and how you mm -hmm. give it's I can only imagine that the, the book definitely is is one part one important part of it because you mm -hmm. you describe your experience and now you inspire others to you know to see how you went through it what how did you find solutions for your problem how did you actually empower yourself to realize it's your responsibility to get healthier it is you mm -hmm. cannot count on doctors alone which is mm -hmm. a big part of what I do. I love that, that you found it in yourself, that strength that you realize, okay, I have to lose weight. I have to do this, 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 because we cannot count on doctors alone. They have limited resources. Mm -hmm. They they do pills and surgeries. And that's about, you know, when was the last time doctors suggested something natural to you that would make a difference? It's mm -hmm. not in their business. That's what- Honey, you should mention that. Yeah. Because it was at a visit to uh, my primary cardiologist, I went, I was in the exam room waiting for him and he walks in and he throws a book at me. Mm. And the book is titled The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. And it's about intermittent fasting. And I will say, I attribute the large majority of my recovery since 2018 intermittent fasting for sure yeah and most doctors you know oh it's a fad diet it's not a diet it's the way humans used to eat for 
hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. And the lifestyle. And, yeah. And you can't, it's not something you can recreate in a lab. So, and nobody makes money off people fasting. Yes. Just the opposite. So, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it goes counter to all the ultra processed foods and the food giants and the soft drink makers and the supplement makers and everything. So there's not a lot of people, you know, jumping on the bandwagon for that. You know, um, it reminds me of, if I may, one joke that I remember reading during COVID mm -hmm. when suddenly we had shortage of uh, toilet paper, shortage of food, mm -hmm. shortage of everything. Everybody was stressing out. People were freaking out and, and going into panic. And one of my friends uh, who is a holistic nutritionist, I had her on the show before, Georgia Schwartz. She posted mm -hmm. something on Facebook about intermittent fasting. And she wrote, intermittent fasting, less need of food, less need of toilet paper, less need of <laughs> whatever else. Suddenly, that intermittent fasting doesn't sound so bad, does it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's I a great been insight. On it for, for a while, and I know how beneficial it is. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, please tell your experience. <laughs> well, I, I started off... Um, there's some intermittent fasting terminology. Yeah. So there's your eating window and your fasting window. So it usually is set to a 24 hour period. Mm -hmm. So the doctors didn't know how my body was going to react to this. So I started on a 12, 12 system. I would fast for 12 hours and then I had an eating window of 12 hours. Now that doesn't mean that you're supposed to sit there and eat for 12 hours straight. It means that's just, when you're going to eat and you're hopefully going to eat more healthily than you were. Um, it took a few months for me to see any effects from it, but probably four months after I started, I graduated to 23 ones. So I was fasting you, for 23 did, hours. What did you eat during those 12 hours? Tell me. Anything okay. I wanted. I, you know, you're not initially trying to, change what you eat because your body can only adapt to so much change at once. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're starting to try and do a diet while you're trying to teach your body how to fast and burn up your fat reserves and get your hormones balanced and everything, it's often not a recipe for success. What a lot of people find, and I ended up being a moderator in a 350,000 member fasting group that your body as it heals will naturally gravitate you towards different foods. You won't like the ultra processed foods. You won't like the sugary stuff so much. You'll go for more whole foods and you'll find they taste better. You know, but your body things... needs the quality fuel. If you only eating in certain window, you need to provide your body fuel to run on something, right? Right. But we have such huge fat reserves. Uh -oh. I shouldn't say we. I'll I'll stick to me for this one. I, I could, you know, I've easily got half a year of fasting material sitting on me, so I'm not too worried. And a lot of what we're told about nutrients and you know, if you're working out, you have to eat this much protein. You don't read a lot of obituaries that, you know, Joe died from a lack of protein. 
you know, Bill died from, you know, scurvy. Like we just don't have those things anymore. And there's a lot of opinions that say most of what you spend on supplements, the greatest beneficiary are other people's bank accounts and your toilet because you just pee them all out. Yeah. And uh, I think Tim Spector, who's probably one of the top uh, microbiologists in the world, is of that opinion. Most people don't need supplements. Mm -hmm. If a blood test shows you're low on vitamin D or B12 or whatever, yeah, go out and get some. You know, the doctor will probably write you a prescription. But in general, most of us don't seem to need this stuff until somebody discovers it in a lab. And they say, hmm, let's market this new supplement. Well, last hundred years was all about antioxidants and mm -hmm. that became a big 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 hoopla and everybody was into mm -hmm. antioxidants and the current current trend goes somewhere else but mm -hmm. it's for another show but I, I would like to go back to your so you said you started 1212 and then you went to 231 yeah I, I you know, added an hour here and an hour there. And um, so I went to the one meal a day plan in intermittent fasting language that's called OMAD, one meal a day. Mm -hmm. And then I eventually tried some alternate daily fastings. So I would have some longer fasts, like 36, 38, 40 hours. Yeah. And I ascribe to the Jen Stevens methodology of fasting. Um, if you are going to read one fasting book, I would read Fast, Feast, Repeat by Jen Stevens. And she's an advocate of the clean fast. So some people say you can have cream in your coffee and, you know, this amount of calories and stuff like that. Uh, no, this is, if you're going to, all you can have in your fast is water. You know, if you want soda water, that's fine, but it can't be flavored coffee or tea, black coffee, green tea no additives no sugars no, no sweeteners so that's probably not where you wanted to go but uh i ended up uh losing about 10 pant sizes from the intermittent fasting but more importantly it's all the the non-scale victories the things that don't show up on your scale mm -hmm. that are important so i was type 2 diabetic i'm off insulin like in six months, I was off insulin. Um, I had sleep apnea. I don't have sleep apnea anymore. And the respirologist says, like, this never happens. We never see people who reverse their sleep apnea. We just put them on a CPAP and let them run. My asthma is gone. My brain fog is gone. I, I have such clarity of thought now. It's just stunning how much smarter I feel. And that after all those concussions and injuries to your brain. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all the inflammation in my body is gone. So I grew up playing hockey outside in Canada. So, you know, minus 30, minus 40 temperatures. Uh, I played football. I played college rugby. My body has been very, very beat up. I don't have an ache or pain in my body anymore because all the inflammation is gone. Most people don't realize you can have body-wide inflammation. And uh, 
you know, caused by a number of factors, but you can get rid of it. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the stunning fact uh, for me was to learn how little doctors know about nutrition, but I have witnessed how powerful food is for healing. And many mm -hmm. people don't look at it. The food is the medicine. You yes. know, everything else is chemical loaded, something to correct the symptoms, but it's not really healing you. The food is healing. Mm -hmm. And you are a good example of that. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. I try. I mean, I, I try and pass on this information. Uh, Jim Stevens, intermittent fasting, the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. That's yeah. what it really is. Yeah. And the sad part is that people look at these strategies usually after something happened to them, not prior. They don't... Mm -hmm. I, I'm not an exception. I was fine. I was eating everything. And then you eventually you get to a point when you realize health is your responsibility. And if I don't want to end up like my parents with the full boxes of pills filling up weekly and mm -hmm. my calendar full of scheduled appointments with doctors then i want to take charge of my health and i want to do it now mm -hmm. when it's still time so it's it's really been a journey and i love meeting somebody like you who actually realize after all these episodes that there is a limit what doctors can you for can do for you you have to mm -hmm. be responsible yourself and start taking charge of your own health because it's after all it's really your life and mm -hmm. you only have one even yeah. though you have like cats lives so far <laughs> i hope i haven't used them up no for sure well i was what, almost killed by a cat once. by a cat by a cat oh it was uh i was i was riding my bike coming home from work late at night and uh i used to try and set a world record every time i would ride my bike home from work. So um, I saw this cat on a boulevard and it saw me and it sat down. So I thought, okay, it's, it's gonna let me go past. And then all of a sudden it just bolted right in front of me, right under my front wheel. Oops. It sent me flying, like literally, you know, head over heels. And, uh, and then I woke up in the middle of the road. Um, like you didn't have enough concussions. Yeah, and uh, oh, that was sore. But then I realized there's a whole lineup of cars. Like all these cars saw me lying in the road, tangled up in my bike, and nobody got out. <laughs> it's just amazing. And then this guy comes running from across the street. And wow, man, that was like spectacular. So I think he had been smoking a few joints before he had seen me. But at least wow. he came out and helped me. That's something. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's you know it's you have very unbelievable stories <laughs> i i would like to know what's in stars for you now what are you working on and what is if somebody is interested to get in touch with you what you can do for them how how you coaching mm -hmm. what what you do i'm working on a few things um i have my own little podcast that i've just started up called the summer no, sorry of the Dead Man Walking podcast, a dead thing. Um, so I talk to people who have gone through their own adversity. I talk to people who are emerging writers because a lot of people help me get my book published. I think it's only right I help other people 
um, get theirs published. I love talking to people about business because I was a, a business prof. And then I talk health and wellness and of course, intermittent fasting. That's my passion. So um, I've got a small Instagram site um, at repeatedly DF or repeatedly dead Fred. Um, and uh, if you want to email me, it's repeatedly.dead.fred at gmail.com. I'll post I'm, all the links below this episode. So if people want to get in touch you. with you, they'll know where to go for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to work with uh, Heart and Stroke Association. I guess it's just the Heart Foundation in the U.S. Uh, to be a spokesperson for them because I, I want people to know that there are some really good doctors out there and really innovative stuff going on. And basically, I'd like to be a motivational speaker. Yeah. I'd like to come into organizations and tell my story and just hopefully help people get through what they're going through. Yeah. And definitely, uh, as one of the good teams that is being offered to me when we talk is, is kind of letting people know that their health and wellness is really their responsibility first. Maybe don't wait mm -hmm. until something bad happened to, to take charge of your health and start doing things little by little now when you're feeling mm -hmm. good because then, you know, when something happens, it's usually dramatic enough. And Have you ever seen um, Dr. Sandra Lee, her show, The Pimple Popper? Uh, no, I don't believe so. No. So it's on like Discovery or Life or one of those mm -hmm. TLCs. And so she's a dermatologist and people come to her with these horrific skin issues. And a lot of them, they'll come with, uh, sorry, I forget the name of these things. Uh, lipo, huge, huge, like growths the size of their own heads hmm. and stuff like that. And it's usually a really simple fix, lipomas or, or various types of cysts. And so often they've gone through years of being uncomfortable with like having, you know, a second head on there and they can't use it. They can't yeah. wear clothes. And it's, and so often the, the story is I don't like going to doctors. Well, the, the mindset of I don't like going to doctors. Yeah. There's lots of things in life we don't like, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So if these people had gone to a doctor 20 years ago or whatever time it was, they could have changed the entire outcome of their life. Yeah. They wouldn't have been stuck in a dead end job. They wouldn't have been not comfortable dating. They wouldn't have not been able to take that, that dream vacation because they felt impaired, you know, for whatever reason. So not to mention that these things usually don't get better by waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So so, hey, if you see one of these people with like these massive growths on the back of their head or, you know, stuff like that, tell them to look for Dr. Pimple Popper so she can get them fixed. Yeah. But, but yeah, take the initiative. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes we have to be outside our comfort zones. But that's usually when we see the most growth. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly good ending for our podcast because I was gonna ask you what you will, what you would leave people with uh, one one uh, important thought or advice. 
if you have hope, you can conquer almost anything, according yeah. to Dr. Frankel. And, uh, and I believe that. And hope is free. It's not affected by inflation. It's just out there. You know, if you can grab some hope, you can change your life. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, and with that, we are ending our talk show with repeatedly dead Fred. It was something else for sure i'm so i'm so grateful you gave us your time fred and you shared that un, unbelievable story and if anybody is interested in more details please go and purchase his book that's called the summer i died 20 times thank you very really appreciate you having me on it was a pleasure meeting you fred and i wish you all the best and no more crazy episodes you just use your time as God wanted you to be here for good mm -hmm. in the world. And you, I'm sure many people will be inspired by your story of overcoming all this and becoming a better human being. Amen. Thank you. So nice meeting you. you Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.